everyone. Before we get started, we wanted to let you know about our venue consulting. We have broken up our offerings into four distinct needs, design, sales and client experience, marketing, and those all-important SOPs. You can take advantage of one or all of these tricky spots for your venue. If you want to learn more and get a few more details, head on over to hustleandgather.com to see how we can work together and reach your venue goals. All right, let's get to today's show. And I think it's really a blessing to be able to reinvent yourself. Like I think a life well lived is when you can look back on it and see like all of these periods of reinvention and like constant evolving. It's like having past lives within your life. Welcome to Hustle and Gather, a podcast about inspiring everyday entrepreneur to take the leap. I'm Dana. And I'm Courtney. And we are two sisters who love business. On this show, we talk about the ups and downs of the hustle and the reward at the end of the journey. And we know all of the challenges that come with starting a business, between operating our wedding venue, doing speaking and consulting, starting our luxury wedding training company. We wake up and hustle every day, but we love what we do. And today we're talking, just the two of us, about last week's episode with Nicole Love, CEO and owner of Soul Life. Soul Life is the first telecoach digital ecosystem to help coaches increase growth and profitability while serving their clients. If you haven't heard last week's episode, go give it a listen and come back to hear our thoughts. All right, Court, let's get started. So I love what I love about this episode and about Nicole in general is that she has had like many versions of herself, uh-huh. whether it was producer, a film producer, or a salesperson, a Fortune 500 company, and now starting a tech company. Can't even imagine. She really identifies herself, not as those things, but as an entrepreneur. So it made me think, you might be an entrepreneur if, mm-hmm. a little game. So Dana, you might be an entrepreneur if, if you have bags under your eyes. You see your team more than you see your family. That's true. <laughs> um, when you get that big paycheck, you can't actually spend it. Uh, you dream of vacation. What else? You might be an entrepreneur if you're worried about taxes all the time, you know, way more like legal jargon than you ever thought you would know in your life. Oh yes. I cornered a tax accountant at a party the other day. Cause I wouldn't know all the inside scoop on what's going on with business taxes next year. I don't know. It's a very interesting conversation. <laughs> it lasted like 30 minutes. Oh, I think that's it. It's a good game. Good job, Dana. <laughs> oh, you might be an entrepreneur if. No, I totally identify with that. Like yeah. it, it was a couple of years ago that I realized it wasn't necessarily, well, people ask me, what do you do? Right. And I put down event planner and I feel like I realized I'm like, I'm not really an event planner. Like that doesn't really scratch the surface of what I do. Right. I'm an entrepreneur. I loved, I think like visual, well, there's so many things, but I think another fun, like visual, what she said is when she talked about the blip of life. Yes. Oh my gosh. Like I was, I just, yes. Sometimes you do get it. And especially being a parent, you feel it all the time. It's like that you wake up in the morning, get your kids up, you make breakfast, you put away the milk that was left on the counter. You tell them to put their shoes on, they get to school, then you pick them up and just like do the same thing over and over and over again. And I genuinely, I like cooking. Like I like cooking dinner. Like it's kind of like my chill time. I put on music, have a glass of wine or whatever, but something about like the fifth or sixth day in a row, I'm just like, this is freaking Groundhog's Day. <laughs> You're Bill Murray. Yeah, it is. But I totally feel that way about entrepreneurship, like where, and like just life in general, like where you kind of get into like this vicious circle. I yeah, I felt like it was a, like a vicious circle of like self, self-talk self right? that she was talking about. Yes. Where it was like, I'm good at this, so I should be happy doing it. 
what if, what if, what if, right. well, I'm good at this. So I should be. So what's your blip self-talk? I don't I mean, know. No. What, you have one? I do. Mine's purely related to sugar. <laughs> that sounds so weird. But like, I um, love sugar. Like I love all things sweet. And I mm-hmm. genuinely, I try all the time to just cut out processed sugar because it, it, I genuinely think it's addictive. Yeah, they say that. I think it is. Because when I don't eat it, I don't crave it. But if I do eat it, like it's all I want. But it's this constant cycle of why I'm trying to do it. And a lot of it has to do with me just trying to like be healthier, um, not necessarily to lose weight, but just to feel better. And I and I recognize every single time that I try to cut this out, like I feel better mm-hmm. in the end. But it's just this vicious like self-talk talk cycle of like, it's like deprivation in a way. And when you deprive yourself of something that you want and you like screw up and you have the cookie or the fudge pop, which is what I eat all the time. It's like talking yourself back around into it. Like I'm going to feel better if I don't eat this. Yes. But I really want it. Yes. And then, or like, Oh, it's not going to make a big difference or it'll be fine. And then it's not. I don't have a sugar thing. I like salty things better than sugar things yeah. or alcohol. That's probably my thing. If I have like a blip cycle, it's like, I like to consciously not drink for several days in a row, mostly because it doesn't make me feel good. Like I feel like bloated and like lethargic and I don't like feeling that way. But then if I'm like going to drink, then I'm just going to drink. Right. Like I'm like, are you going to come over for, I told something the other day, I'm like, you come over for cards and play. Cause it's so that I'm going to have a drink now. Like, cause I'm going to drink anyway that day. So it's no big deal for me to have a drink now and later, but if I'm not going to drink, I'm just going to abstain for the whole day. It's probably like pre-alcoholic talk. I don't know. <laughs> I do go multiple days without drinking, but no, blip of life. I feel like I get stuck in blips when I'm in a really unhealthy mental spot. Mm-hmm. Like that's when I feel the blips the most. And I believe things that aren't necessarily true. And I get into mm-hmm. like, taking what's happening in that moment and I apply it to what I perceive is going to be forever. Like, because this person is acting this way or because I feel this way about that, I'm going to feel that way forever about it. And what I've learned over almost 40 years is that's just not true. Right. And I think one of the things that was really interesting to you when you're talking about like emotions and big emotions and you're just emotional, I'm like, I have emotions, but when I have a big emotions, I always thought it meant action, right? Because I don't ever have huge emotions. So when I felt things big, I didn't really know how to deal with emotions, right? So if I had a big feeling, it meant I must do something. Therefore, it must be true, right? Like that kind of blip thinking. And that's actually not the truth. Yeah, I mean, I guess for me too, like you're talking about blips of life. For me, probably a lot of it is where I get stuck the most is probably relationships. Mm -hmm. Like people's intentions versus... What, what I think their intentions are, what their actual intentions are. I get stuck a lot because I believe actions show intent and that's not actually the truth. Uh, so like sometimes when someone, when I, when I have a feeling about somebody, like they think this, or they have this attribute that I don't like necessarily and their actions solidify that thought for me. But then, and then I like get into the cycle of like, I can't move on. Don't want to be around this person. But then you are forced to be around that person for whatever reason. And then you realize, oh, well, they are actually nice people and they actually are okay. And that really wasn't what they meant when they did that. And then you get back into the cycle over yeah. and over again. I feel like I struggle a lot with that, to be honest, people that I don't see very often. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like sometimes, like even in our team, like on the C&D team, because we don't ever see them. We see them on Zoom now. 
like once a month, every yeah. other month or something. And after every team meeting, it's like, I feel like I understand them so much more. And I understand like the past, like five emails I got about them from them, right. you know, because I connected with them on that level. But like, if I hadn't, like I would have that negative self-talk about like, like why, why'd they say this? Like, what's the intention mm-hmm. behind this email that I got? Like, it seems frustrated at me or it seems snarky or whatever, but yeah. it's really just not. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, I do. I think that that's where we've gotten to in like this digital society that we live in. Like, it's hard to garner somebody's intention. And because you spend so little actual face-to-face time with people, it's really easy to like make up stories that you believe about it. Yes. Because we're never there to disprove it. Right. And, then, and I think too, like blips are even more powerful in your life when you don't have anyone speaking into them. And like, I think about 2020, like how isolated people have been. It's probably super hard to get out of your blip. I agree. I know this is like, I, I was talking to my husband about this the other day. Like, I do feel that way. Like, there's a lot of times I feel like I have, I have a family, obviously. You do. My family or whatever. But or whatever. <laughs> you are my family. <laughs> but I think the last like three year, three or four years, I've really started to recognize where my relationships with family and how I've come to terms with who I am. Like I really resonated a lot with her when she was talking about coming into your own mm-hmm. because and like making yourself small. Cause I feel like not just in business, this is probably where I rec- I see more in my personal life. Like I've made myself small in a lot of other way in, in terms of like family members and whatnot. And there's a lot of times when I, I have learned that I can, I can have fun with anybody. I can, you know, talk to a brick wall, whatever, but a lot of people don't know who I am. They like genuinely don't know me. Like they'll, someone will say something like my mother, my parent, like my in-laws will say something and they, they feel like they have to uh, smooth it over. Like I would be offended by what they said. And like, you have no idea who I am. Like, I don't care. You just said that, like, that doesn't bother me, you know? And it, it's just, it's so real how much I realize people don't actually know like who I am and how much I feel literally like an orphan because I can't connect on that same level. And I was trying to explain it to Sam the other night because and we maybe he can provide clarity on this conversation. <laughs> no, but like we grew up in Florida. We had cousins and aunts and uncles and grandparents, right? And yes. everything we did was with them. Every single holiday, every single birthday, every single weekend. My best friend was my cousin. I mean, it was all we ever knew. And then we moved away. And a lot of my anger at my parents wasn't because my friends, it was because my family. And I recognize how much of who I am is because of my family. Yeah. And so when we moved, we really lost that connection with them. Like truly. That's true. Like, and so there was a part of me that felt like, so then what became our genuine true family was the five of us. Right. Right. The five of us became our own little insulated bubble. And that's what we were. So then when they moved to Florida, and it was just me and you up here, like, she so felt abandoned. No, I didn't feel abandoned. I, when people ask my family, it's like my immediate response was just my sister, yeah. right? Like that was it. I, there was nobody else. And so, and we've grown up, I mean, they moved when I was 18. And so it's been like, what's, what is that? 18 almost years, 19 years, almost 19 years ago. And so I've turned into someone completely different. Like I'm yeah. a completely different person than I was when I was 18. And so there's just not that same connection to that. Family. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you feel very like adopted into it, like where they don't really know who you are. Yeah. They don't understand how you think. 
they don't know what your values are and really genuinely like who you are. Yeah. And, and I feel the same way about like, and I said before about my like in-laws. So you're saying like around family, like you feel like you're playing soft. Yeah, I do. I mean, I'm not for like it. I, I do play small. Yeah. I do completely squash exactly how I feel and what I think to just fit into what's around me. I was really interested in when she was talking about it because a lot of that had to relate to her being like the only female in that environment and like, you know, yeah, going. And I cannot imagine what she went through in the 80s I and imagine, 90s yeah. of like it's nowhere near we are now. And I know we're that we're not anywhere near equality or there is like where we need to be, but yeah. like still like we're things so get far. called out, you know. Yeah, now. we're so far yeah. from like 30 years ago. Like and her being especially in something as male dominated as sales, like what her experience was. I can't even imagine. No. So I'm curious, but do you so the point is do you feel like you play small because you are a female? Like would you feel differently if you were a male, or you think it's just because of your circumstances? Well, I've never been male, so I don't know that answer. No, I mean, I think, like, I, I'm constantly thinking. And, like, when someone's talking to me, my mind is constantly going. I think I'm a lot for a lot of people. So I think to be able to, like, fit in and to be more PC, I don't know. Like, I, I, I totally, I resonate with that. I resonate with playing small. I resonate with that, too, even, like, on social media. Like, where I guess it, it plays into imposter syndrome, really, like, to me, like, who are you to say these things? Like, how are you a thought leader on such and such? And I'll edit it down, even though I feel like it could benefit me, like, from me saying something. Yeah, but I think, too, you got to think about it, because her point was, like, she was fighting who she was yeah. and played small. Like, and I think that there's a lot of truth in that, like, because I think everyone's afraid of putting themselves out there to truly who they are and being rejected. Because it's easier to be rejected when, when you're not yourself. Well, and when you have downplayed how you really feel. Mm-hmm. So when you post that thing on social media and you're like, okay, well, I could go farther, but, and then it doesn't get the reaction or whatever. Like, well, it, that's really not who I am. I was just kind of like sugarcoating it or I wasn't being real or I was just downplaying whatever it is. It's easier to take that criticism. It's still hard, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Because it's still part of who you are, but it's easier as opposed to just saying like, all right, truth time, this is who I am, laying all out there. And then someone coming back and say like, I, I don't like that. Like you're a horrible person. <laughs> this is a horrible thing. Why would you ever say that? Like that's harder to come back from. It's a really good thing. I have you as a filter. Cause I can be like true time. And she's like, you're a really horrible person. Like if you were to say that, <laughs> you think you're a really horrible person. We will not divulge those conversations <laughs> yeah. for that very reason. But yes, there is a lot of truth time. No, I love that. I, I love that playing small. And, and I like how she even expanded that to when you play small, you start to settle and you start to lose yes. things in your life. Like who yeah. you are. I remember when I was getting married and I got married young. So there was valid concern for this, that I remember having a conversation with Mikhail and I was like, I'm really afraid of getting married and losing my Courtneyism. Like that's what I called it was my Courtneyism, like losing who I am, losing my identity, like not being free be who I am because I felt like I in fact I even uh so much did not want to lose my Courtneyism that I suggested a hybrid last name I wanted to hybrid my name and his name he did not go for it I wanted to be Kepper I wanted to be Kepper because I liked the alliteration <laughs> of the Courtney Kepper so like it's I think it's I, that's always been super important to me like my identity for whatever reason has always been like super important to me to be true to myself and so, feel the best about me. So do you feel like there was a time when 
that just happened? Like where you played small or you settled and yeah, you I started felt, I felt that way in my relationship. I felt that way in my relationship with Mikhail and I felt that way in my relationship with you. There was times that I played small and I was accommodating and I wasn't really working to my strengths because I could really easily fall into like people pleaser mode, right? Like where I can just downplay, 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 whatever you want, whatever you want, whatever you want. And it's not anybody, I'm not blaming it on anybody else. It's not like it's right. their fault that I'm a people pleaser, but I felt like it was the best way to get through a situation because that's a way for me to play small survival is survival and it's not. And I realized that I didn't like how people were treating me and it wasn't because these people were innately bad. It was because I was allowing it. I wasn't making my opinion worthwhile. I wasn't even making them think about me. Right. And that was definitely a time where I felt like I was playing small. I wasn't working to my strengths and I lost a lot of myself. And I mean, we all remember the year of Courtney where it was like, yeah, I'm going to do things that reflect how I feel. And it was super important for me to realize that my thoughts were valid and my wants were priority. And I wasn't going to play small anymore. And I think all my relationships are better for it. Was there a time that you felt that way? I really feel like there's a lot that in the past like two years, I feel like I've been going through in that. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't want to say it's because I settled and I started losing things. I think that I recognized more of who I am and how I function, which I know sounds weird, but like, I just didn't really understand myself fully. Um, and yeah. so I think the last two years I've been able to recognize my emotions for what they are and who I am and to really be proud of who I am. I think a lot of times, you know, and I've mentioned this before, like just how much I was told to, that I was too much, like that I felt too much. I was irrational. I was angry. I mean, even to the point, I mean, you played a role in this. I think there was like, I think when after Henry was born or something, you had like the Dana support club because you guys felt like I was too emotional. Yeah, right? Sam and I did. Yes. Just, it was called people who love Dana. It wasn't oh, negative. Whatever. It was called people who love Dana. All I know is it's negative to me at that time because <laughs> it was not people who love me. It was people who had to justify everything that I said or did. So, but it was, I was after Henry, we, cause it was like Henry was born and four days later we signed on the land and then uh, a year later, we started construction. We sold our house. We moved into a, an apartment. We started construction. And so like, I, and I'm not lying to you. And I can tell you, I remember nothing from the first two years of Henry's life. Mm-hmm. And it, to this day, is still like the saddest thing, like the most emotional thing for me, because I feel like I lost those two years. I'm going to start crying. I, know, I can feel this from you. But it's real. And so I feel like it was a really hard time and there was nobody there that was telling me that what I was feeling was valid. They were just telling me it was too much. Like you're just too much. And that what you're feeling isn't a true feeling. And so like it doubt, I doubted so much of anything. Like, if I, am I allowed to be mad? Am I allowed to be sad? Am I allowed to be angry? And because it was everything from my childhood coming back and telling me that same thing over and over again. And so I feel like these past two years, I've been more free to say, my feelings are valid. Like I'm not a horrible person because I feel this way. I am a person and it's what I need to process and to get through it. And I can say like, you hurt my feelings and I can say that, and I can recognize when I'm being irrational. Like I can say like, look, I know I'm mad for 
to you seems like no reason, but there's a valid point and I just need to get over it. Mm-hmm. Like I know I need to get over yeah. it because I know it's not the end all be all. I know it's not going to be the end of the day. I know it's not going to ruin whatever it is. I just need to feel it. I need to process it and I need to move on. I need to let me do that. Yeah. You know? So I feel like that's honestly the best example I can think of. Like, well, damn, I'm sorry for the people who love Dana group. It's fine. I know it was, I know it was out of love. Like it wasn't out of hate or mad or anger. It's just just, survival. It was just (laughs) like, it was probably made it a thousand times worse. A thousand times worse. I know you were so emotional. Like it, you you were just, it was a mess. It was was like, it was a messy time. It was like totally a messy time. I think it takes years to bounce back like hormonally and emotionally from a baby. Like, I think it just like wrecks your world more than you think it's going to. But I'm not saying in positive or negative, it's like a whole identity thing. Yeah, no, but I mean, I, I do hundred hundred percent agree with that, but for Henry, it was, it was legitimately hormone. I mean, it was just, I, yeah. I needed meds and I took meds for a yeah. year to get back to how I needed to get I remember to. you like that, like the second that he was born though, you were like, get out of this hospital room. Yeah. I'm going to be with my child. Yes, I was. <laughs> she was just like that. Yeah. I was so angry when I was in there. I you was were. Like, get out. <laughs> this is my baby. No one's holding my baby. Leave me alone. That's what she said. Yeah. It wasn't like, it wasn't like I couldn't bond with Henry. I was actually very bonded. Yeah. She was very attached to Henry and Henry was very attached to her. He was as a toddler. He was not an easy toddler either. He would just follow her around and scream at her. He was a very angry baby. So there was like, and she dealt with that just fine. Like she just ignored it, but you'd walk in this kid would just be walking behind her screaming everywhere she went and she'd go about picking the dinner, doing the laundry, doing whatever. Uh, Yeah. All right. I loved how she's had so many careers mm. and I love that concept. I was actually thinking about this the other day. So I love that song. Who sings it? I'm not sure, but they sing a song called Past Lives. And I was kind of like marinating on the concept of past lives. And I think it's really a blessing to be able to reinvent yourself. Mm. Like I think a life well lived is when you can look back on it and see like all of these periods of reinvention and like constant evolving. It's like having past lives within your life. Well, I honestly would, I, when she told me the story, like she started a career of a business at 24 and first of all, I love how she had the energy, but not the wisdom. So I was like, oh my God, that was totally so I think yes. you were like 24. Yes. Yeah. Or 22. 22. Yeah. When I totally started CD. We had so much energy, but no, it was no. But I, I think when you someone says, oh, I started a business at 24, your natural thought is that they're still at that business. It's still super successful. It's thriving. Mm-hmm. And, and for her to like, say like those ended up not being what I wanted to do. And there's so much bravery in that. Yeah. Like, and it's not quitting or losing the business because of a pandemic or because of there is no business. It's just literally like, this isn't serving me anymore and I don't love it. And I want to walk away and do something different. I guess for her having that life and death experience. Yeah. Like, where like kind of puts life into perspective. Yeah. Like if this is the end, would I be happy doing what I was doing? Yeah. But she like totally gave me goosebumps when she was talking about it. Yeah. It's like every person. It's like our parents. Like, where were you in JFK shots? Like, where were you in Towers? Oh, yeah. Where were you? I was at school. I was a senior in high school. Yeah. I was at Meredith College. And I remember we were in, uh, I was in British authors mm-hmm. class. And I remember someone walking into the class and saying, a plane just ran into the mm-hmm. World Trade Center. 
It's like, what? It goes like the most bizarre thing. Like it just seemed like very obtuse. And it was like a 9.30 class, right? So this is all happening right at that time. And then someone else came in and said, they were late a few minutes later, a second plane just ran to the world, the second World Trade Center. And then I remember them dismissing class and we all went to like the student union, like the Tally Student Center where they had that big, huge TV and just like watching it on this yeah. big TV and it was like surreal. Mm-hmm. And I, it's like one of those moments where you realize that the whole world has changed yeah. in a moment. Yeah. So we, I was in Latin and it was first period and the principal came on and said, a plane just flew into the trade center. And I remember two people behind me started laughing. They're like, who can't fly a plane? Like, Cause how, it did seem like an accident. Well, they didn't, the first they didn't understand it. Like, like, I still think about that. And I'm like, I wonder if that person just like cringes every time they think about it. But yeah. that was honestly it. No one knew anything until lunch. And so, because lunch is when we would go and you could like eat in the teacher's classroom. And I remember it was Sam's 18th birthday and I didn't have a cell phone. And so I drove to the gas station for the payphone and called him on his birthday. Cause it was his birthday. And I was like, happy birthday. And he's like, what? He's like, you're eight, you're 18. Happy birthday. And he's like, do you know what's going on? And I was like, no, what's going on? And he's like, go back to school and turn on the TV. And he's like, like the world is like, there's been a terrorist attack. And I was like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. I was like, are you talking about the trade center and the, the towers? He goes, yeah, yes, I am. Just go, go back and look at the TV. And then I went and I walked into the classroom where I normally lunch at and everyone was just like somber and quiet and watching it. And that's, and that's what we did the rest of the day. So everyone just watched what was happening. Oh, they didn't send you home? They didn't send us like home. Like they ended our college. Right? Yeah. Like it was done at 10. Yeah. I'm sure there was like buses and parents and yeah. all that mess. But yeah. But I can't imagine like, like really facing your mortality on mm-hmm. that. Like I should have been on that plane. Or I should have been in that building is really what it was. Yeah. Should have been in that building. Right, right, right. Yeah. I know. And then thinking like, I don't know, maybe that's a pivotal moment in your life where like, this isn't what I want to be doing actually. It sounded to me though, like it was just taking a lot out of her relationship. And at that point she realized she really wanted to prioritize this relationship. Well, I think you, I think you just recognize that what's important are people. Mm-hmm. It's not jobs, it's not fame, it's not money, it's people. And what's going to serve you better in life is the person who loves you and, you know, yeah. take this adventure. Yeah. Like what a blessing though, in a way, like sometimes you think about when tragedy happens and you're confronted with that, like that you had the opportunity to experience that in a way, like, like make a correction. Yeah. To, yeah. to like, to correct course. Yeah. I mean, I feel like to be like really real on here, obviously you're over there crying over people who love Dana. I'm not minimizing. Are you? I'm not. <laughs> I'm really not. I'm just bringing levity to this very somber conversation. Yeah. That for me, it was a lot of 2020. And I know this is like a touchy subject for us in general, but I felt that way about 2020 and like my marriage. Like it was definitely a moment where it was like correct course. Like you have the opportunity to like correct a course and make a change. Like really like dig it out, make a new foundation, pack it back in. And 2020 was that for me. So like when I look back on the pandemic and I think about that, I think about that time and opportunity. And I I don't think it's, I don't think that's unique to me, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's probably a lot of people that looked at it and was like, correct course. Like oh, yeah. whether it was, oh my God, I love all this time I've had with my family or, oh my God, I cannot stand this person who I'm stuck with. Like right. if I have to spend the rest of my life in quarantine with this person, 
let's just end it now, you know? So I think for me, 2020 was one of those moments, not as monumental as like I could have been in the twin, twin towers, but definitely where it was like, okay, let's stop. Let's reevaluate. What is it? What is it that you want? What is it that you need? What is it that's not serving you? What can you get rid of? What can you add on? And kind of changing that mentality was one of those moments. And I'm so, and I'm thankful for it. Like I'm so thankful for what that brought about in my relationship, what that brought about in me, like personally, mm-hmm. like being able to like recognize it and operate outside of yourself in that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, because I mean, truth be told, like when you think about it, there was a lot of humbling you had to do to get to that point. There's a lot of like oh, absolutely. recognizing that the path you were on maybe wasn't the right one. And, and, you know, you're right. It was hard. I didn't agree with it. Yeah. I thought it was wrong. Yeah. Jury's still out. Jury's still out. Right. I know. She probably has support group for people who live life with Courtney. (laughs) But yeah. So, I mean, but I say, you can join. (laughs) I do think that that is that the pandemic did bring that out in a lot of people. Like the, I think it's, you're absolutely right. That correct course. And I think family was a big part of it. You know, for me, it was parenting. It was what mom do I want to be? And specifically with my daughter, like Mm -hmm. who was becoming a preteen and who was picking up on so much more than I ever understood that she was picking up on and just my attitude about her, the way I talked to her, my expectations of her. And so there was like a lot of really good, like mother daughter time and really correcting course into how I should talk to her about who she is, you know, and giving her the benefit of the doubt. It's not like I'm your mom. I told you so listen to me. I'm the boss. It's allowing her to have a little bit more control of her life. Like, and it just came to fruition somewhat like where it was like a, this was like two weeks ago. She's like, mom, I really need to talk to you about something. And I was like, okay. And she's like, can you sit down on the bed? And I was like, sure. And I'm thinking like, what in the world is you going to tell me? She's like, well, I feel like I try to go to bed at eight o'clock when you tell us to, and I take my melatonin and I'm just not tired. I'm just not tired yet. Like, I really think that, you know, I'm 11 and I get up on time every morning, which is true. She does by herself. I don't have to wake her up that I should be able to go to bed at nine. And if I can't wake up in the morning, I'll go to bed at eight 30 and we'll find the right time. But I really feel like eight o'clock just isn't my bedtime. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's fair. That's totally fair. But she would have never done that before. Yeah. Advocate for herself. Right. Because she would have never known that she could. Yeah. Because she just assumed that was always right. I, I can feel that. Yeah. <laughs> I can't with that. Yeah. Anyways, so I, I definitely think that. I think it, it was definitely a hard reset mm-hmm. for us. I'm like, okay. And then it, I also like woke up in the middle of the night and I was like, oh my God, she's only going to live with me for seven more years. Oh, I know. This hit me one time. Because Mason's going to be 13 this year. Yeah. That's insane. So seven like, years. I've done like I give Mason a hug and he's like hugging a whole person. And it baffles my mind that I'm like, I like carried you and pushed you out of my vagina. And here I am like hugging this ginormous person. How does that baffle you? That's like people they grow up. It's just so weird because it didn't seem like that long ago. Oh, that's funny. You are a biologist. You should know. I know. I mean, I know how it goes, but I'm just saying like, I don't know. Cause he's like literally maybe an inch shorter than I am. And a good like 30 pounds heavier yeah. than I am. Like he's big, big kid. But yeah, it baffles my mind. But yeah, I think the other thing that like 2020 taught me was about a little bit more about like mindfulness and 
like loving the life that you've spent so much time crafting. And I like listening to her made me think about that. Like it made me think about how much I would like resent the day-to-day stuff, like the stuff that you've spent your life collecting and doing and building. And yet then you spend the rest of your life resenting it. It's a very, very weird cycle that we have. And I think that when you're like in operating at like your full capacity and you're operating like where you're supposed to be, like you don't resent those things. No, because you, and I, is really what she said, where she said like everything builds on itself. Yeah, it's it like every part of her path was a, another layer that ultimately is serving what she wants to do. And like, and I know you guys can't see it, but you can just be, like see and feel the joy that she has when she talks oh, yeah. about soul life and how much she just knows she's in the right place. And she would have never gotten there if she hadn't gone the path she has. And it's, and I'm so excited to see what this business really becomes. And, and you know, she's going to be using all the other experiences that she yeah, has so many, skills. so many skills to make this so successful and something so needed. I get literally made me I'm like, I should call and get a life coach. Cause I think it would really benefit me. Cause I'm not, I mean, I, I am your life coach and cheerleader. What are you talking about, Dana? Well, you know, I mean, I have, I'll send you my bill. <laughs> you know, I've talked about therapy and I think it's really important. I think therapy takes to the helps you get to the root of problems. Like I know the root of my problems. I also had to deal with my problems. Well, yeah. And I, I've heard a good thing about therapy, therapy versus coaching. Like therapy is healing the past. It's about right. dealing with the past issues that are like causing bad, bad patterns today, but coaching and consulting or whatnot is more about living in the present and like taking some of those patterns, changing the patterns, yeah. changing your mindset to be more able in the present, but it really has nothing to do with fixing the past. Yeah. I, so I think for me, like a lot of my issues, not that I want to fix the past. It's that I understand because what happened in the past, why I do the things, why mm-hmm. I think the things. And I feel like a lot of me is I'm very much what you said in the beginning, like where we were taught just to suck it up. I just want to tell myself, you need to suck it up and get over this and just move on. And a lot of times, like, I don't know how to move on sometimes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know how to get over the emotion when I recognize that the emotion is too big for me to handle. And yeah. sometimes I'm like, is that therapy? Or is that someone just telling me? Get to suck it up. <laughs> I think it's like a mindset shift. I mean, yeah. it is coaching. So you, how it kind of like shifts your mind into like, when I feel this, it actually means X, Y, Z. Or right. if I feel this, this is how I deal with it in the right. moment to get to the other side of it. But yeah, I, I totally felt like she was very passionate about what she does now. And I loved her, her middle career when she was talking about how she was like sales for a fortune 500. She's like, I'm not a salesperson. She's like, until I got that first commission check. She's like, well, maybe I am a salesperson. I think money validates everything. One, but two, like what entrepreneur is not a salesperson? Like you have to sell it to get money. You have to yeah. sell it to get clients. And then her recognizing her entrepreneurial spirit and how that translates to soul life, right? Like, cause just because you're a coach doesn't necessarily mean you're an entrepreneur, but she's taking that coach right. and her ability to be an entrepreneur and helping other entrepreneurs with that. Well, I love that. I mean, yeah, general, I love the camaraderie in the industry in general. Like when you're yeah. like, Hey, like I can make this better for everybody, not just for me. Yeah. But I, I was, I really loved her Prince story. I know. Oh my goodness. I wish I could have met Prince. Yeah. It's freaking amazing. Like Little Red Corvette is like one of my favorite songs. I just think when he was extremely talented and an amazing yeah. artist, but I, her vulnerability to tell that story. Yeah. And like, that's intense. I know. I totally appreciate it. I know. And I feel like it's very much like maybe 
maybe like ponder, is there a point when I let my pride get in the way of my business? And I can think of a couple of instances. Possibly. (laughs) Possibly. (laughs) That we may or may not want to share because there might still be pride surrounding them. I feel like there's been a couple of like uh, lawyer things where I've engaged our lawyer over pride. But I just, I really have a hard time with people who are mean to be mean. Yeah. Like it's one thing to be like unhappy with the service and, you know, to air your grievances, to settle it outside of whatever. And then it's another thing to recognize, like, so this is all related to, this happened to us twice actually in the pandemic with two CND clients who like over a year after their wedding left a review yeah. for things that were out of our control. Like one of them was the musician didn't know the entrance song or something. Yeah. Like, even though like there's literal documentation of us going back and forth about it and it was just the hire. It wasn't even like someone we recommended. It was someone that they had yeah. us up on their own. She was upset about like with the photographer, like, I mean, things that were literally like had nothing to do with us as planners. And they recognize that the time to do it and the time that'd be the most damaging is during this pandemic. Yeah. And to me, I find that to be, I have a hard time settling yeah. with that. I think it's hard when you like, especially in a service driven industry, like where you interface with clients so personally, like as a wedding planner or whatnot, that it's hard when someone's unhappy with the amount of effort that you put in. Yes. But I will say this, that with both of those people, they had massive red flags yeah. from the very beginning. And what made me the most angry it's true. was myself. You did not like listen to my I did gut. not listen to my yeah. gut. And I did not say this is going to end badly because they both ended badly. And I no, think you did say it was going to end badly. Yeah. I, the, like the, like you said, it's going to end badly. And we were so afraid of yeah. the backlash of ending it early. Yes. That we never ended it thinking, okay, we can, we're good enough. We can pull this out and you can't fix me. No, you can't fix me. And so I think a lot of that pride really had to do with the, the anger had to do with, because we knew we were wrong and it's hard to recognize that you were wrong. And so in both of these like instances of these reviews, like we should have broken up with that client after two meetings right? because the writing was on the wall. Right. We weren't a good fit for them. We were never going to make them happy. And I honestly think anybody could have made either of those two hats happy, but it would have been a problem at that time at that point. Yeah. You know? So, but we were just, didn't listen to ourselves. Yeah. We made the wrong choice. Well, yeah. I love that episode. I love talking to somebody who's like, what she say, almost 50 yeah. and like all those years of experience, you know, like all the wisdom. She's so much. So yeah. Much. And I, and I think that she just embodies so much of like her mantra, which I'll call her mantra is that we're not meant to do life alone. And I feel that. And I think that's so true. Yeah. We weren't meant to do life alone. Yeah. Thank goodness we have each other. Thanks everyone for gathering us today to talk about the hustle. To learn more about Nicole Lowe and her business, visit soullife.com or follow them on Instagram at soullife.inc. And to learn more about our hustle, visit cndevents.com, thebradfordnc.com, and hustleandgather.com, or follow us on Instagram at cndevents, at thebradfordnc, or at hustleandgather. And if you like this show, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. This podcast is a production of Earfluence. I'm Courtney. And I'm Dana. And we'll talk to you next time on Hustle and Gather.